So we're looking at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. And if you're using uh, the church Bible, it's on page 1194. But it'll also be up on the screen. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Jesus Christ, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honour and might forever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. It is such a delight, again, to be here with you this morning. Yesterday I was actually just coming back from Singapore, and um, normally I would not have a service that I would preach the next day because it would just be crazy, wouldn't it? Uh, and I thought, but it's St. John's, I've got to come. So I don't know how, how articulate I'm going to be this morning, especially since at four o'clock the dog was on my head. I don't know what was going on, but um, I am delighted to be here with you regardless uh, of what might come or not come from me. The passage we just looked at is a passage we know extremely well, isn't it? It's a passage where Paul is telling Timothy, and Timothy is younger in the faith, keep pure, live a good life, Follow the way of Christ. Fight the good fight and preserve and, sorry, persevere in your faith. Keep going. So that's the context. And I, I, I emphasize that straight away because I am going to deviate from it. But I want you to know that I do understand the context. But I'm wrestling with the fact that I'm also here to talk on Mission Sunday about what it might look like to reach out. And so I want to look at this passage in a slightly different way, if I may, and to ask a question, which is this. What does it mean to fight the good fight and persevere and battle in our faith for a generation of young people who do not know Jesus? What does it mean to bring hope and truth and light to young people out there who have no idea or concept of faith at all and the difference that Jesus can make? What does that look like, therefore, to fight the good fight for them? And it's in that context I would love to share with you this morning, if I may. I'd like to tell you about Hannah. Hannah's 14 or was 14 years of age. It was just her and her mum. Dad had left the scene some time ago. And every now and then, Hannah's mum's boyfriend would come and stay over and be in the house. And one day, the boyfriend's in the house. Mum's gone out. And the boyfriend makes an advance on Hannah, 14 years of age. Hannah doesn't want any of it. She doesn't want to be kissed by him. She doesn't want anything at all to do with him. She runs out of the house. She waits until he's gone, till mum's back. She comes back and says, mum, this is what your boyfriend did. And mum 
says, no way, Hannah, there's no way he would do that. Why do you lie about him? Why do you present him in such a negative way? Why do you say that? Hannah was so upset that mum didn't believe her that she left the house. She went to live with friends. She roamed around for some time. She never went home again. She ended up living with a man three times of her age. She said she saw him as a father figure, but it's a strange father figure because he got her pregnant. And when he discovered that she was pregnant, now about 15 years old, when she discovered that he was pre- she was pregnant, he wanted nothing to do with her. So Hannah is 15 years of age. She's pregnant and she's homeless. She comes across a Youth for Christ worker who immediately finds her accommodation, befriends her, gets to know her. And the, the, the young girl starts to ask her questions about who is she and what does she believe and why does she live the way that she lives and what is it that makes her different? To which she says, well, I'm a Christian. And they go on a journey together and eventually the girl says, look, there's something so different about you. I want to know more about your faith. So the, the Youth for Christ worker takes her to church And while she's going to church, she makes a decision to follow Jesus. And her life is profoundly changed because Jesus is the one who makes that difference. It's not you and I. It's him that can bring hope and truth and light and transformation. And that is what happened to Hannah. Hold that context. You saw in the video, we did a piece of research called Gen Z Rethinking Culture. And the research came back and said that only 32% of young people in this nation believe in God. Only 32%. Scripture Union did a piece of research and their research came back and said that only 90, sorry, 95% of young people have never stepped inside a church before. 32% don't only believe in God and 95% have never stepped inside a church before. And what it actually tells us is this. It tells us that to this generation, Generation Z that we heard about earlier, this generation, simply God is not on the agenda. They're not thinking about him processing. They're just not having any thoughts about faith whatsoever. And the role of you for Christ and the role of the local church is to put God clearly back on the agenda to young people who have no idea about who he is and to do so in a relevant way that will have them focus on who Jesus is and the difference that he can make. We have a ministry in Manchester and recently... There was, uh, where we work, we, we work with two gangs there, and one of the gangs, uh, in an evening went over to the other gang's territory and they stabbed, uh, four teenagers. Uh, three of them were critically ill in ICU. The fourth uh, was fatally wounded and died. And the Youth for Christ staff realized what would happen. The next night, the other gang would be back on the streets and they would want revenge and they would take it back out on that particular gang that had attacked and stabbed and killed one of their fellow uh, gang members and three others who'd been fa- uh, sorry, critically injured. And so the Youth for Christ staff called around and said, listen, we need to pray, we need to pray. And so the nation of Youth for Christ, all our staff across the nation, there's about 750 of us were praying for that particular situation. But they did more than that. That night, they went out onto the streets. And they told every young person to get off the street. And they physically stood between two gangs to prevent one gang taking retaliation out on the other. Fighting the good fight is more than just bringing peace, though. It's bringing the word of truth. And the word of truth brings transformation. And so we will put ourselves into some pretty difficult situations, but we don't do it just to keep peace. We do it because we know that Jesus can and will bring transformation. Paul instructs Timothy, he says, hold tightly to the eternal life that God has given you. But it's not easy, is it? We, there is a, a, a school in the north of England who approached us to come in and to take RE lessons. It was a school that is 98% made up of Muslim students. It's a school that next to that uh, school is a mosque that had been shut down 
by the intelligence services because of extremist teaching. And many of the students went to that mosque. And the RE teacher was a Muslim, and he was failing, or the school was failing miserably on Ofsted when it came to religious education because they had no idea how to teach Christianity at all. And so we were asked to come in and speak about a God of love from a Christian perspective. And Alex, who was the, the, the Youth for Christ worker, as she's sharing in the middle of the lesson, a hand goes up and says, and she was sharing on the Good Samaritan, the hand goes up and says, Miss, the problem with the Good Samaritan is that he helped a Jew. And uh, the Youth for Christ, Alex, realized that she had some work to do, and she carried on <laughs> doing the best she could to talk about a God of love. At the end of the lesson, the same hand went back up and said, Miss, I guess it doesn't matter which God you believe in. He calls us to love our neighbors, whoever our neighbors may be. And Alex thought, well, we're making progress at least. And she leaves the lesson as she's walking down the corridor. The the RE teacher, who I said earlier was a, a Muslim and struggling to understand the concept of Christianity, said, listen, I really need help. All I've got to go off is this website called Request, and I don't know who writes it, and it teaches about Christianity and an education perspective, and it's in line with the syllabus, but I don't know who writes it, and that's all I've got to go off. And Alex said, well, actually, that's done by you for Christ, and actually, I personally helped develop that site. And he said, would you come on a regular basis? Would you come back and help me on a regular basis talk about Christianity? And so she said, sure, I will do that. So she would go in on a frequent basis. And the school got to really like Alex, and they made her a governor. And she was only Christian governor. The rest were all Muslims. And that school eventually won an outstanding award for the teaching of Christianity. You see, it had been failing miserably, but they opened a door, and we came in, and we helped them. And they won an award, the teaching of Christianity. Now hold that thought for a moment. 72% of churches in this country have no engagement with young people whatsoever. According to Peter Briley, who's a statistician, there are 46,000 churches in Britain. 33,000 churches therefore have no contact whatsoever with young people at all. Now, 95% of young people have never walked into a church before, but churches are still reaching out, but the vast majority of churches aren't reaching out or engaging with young people. But this is what we also know. We know that churches in this country that are growing have active and thriving youth ministries. We also know churches in this country that are in rapid decline have no youth ministry whatsoever. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out what the missing piece is. And we at Youth for Christ sat down and said, okay, but how do we therefore help churches start youth ministry from scratch? How do we help churches who are really struggling, who are in rapid decline, how do we help them start a youth ministry in that particular context? And so we piloted a few schemes to help youth ministries where there was no youth ministry in churches which were struggling. And we chose a church that was opposite the very school that I've just talked about, the school with the 98% Muslims in it. And over time, the students from that school started to come into the church youth group. And suddenly it had 50, 60 students every single week. And then we raised a ton of money, and we, we, we took 15, 16 of the students away to a Christian camp, and we told their parents, and the parents were all on board, and they were fine with that. They were all Muslim students. And we took them to a camp, and all 15, 16 students made a decision to follow Jesus. And one of them wrote back and said, you talked about Jesus in such a compelling way that I knew I had to get to know him. And now I go to church every single week. My life has been profoundly changed by him. 
Our role is not to stay in our buildings. Our role is to go out and to engage with young people who have no idea about who he is. Our role is to fight for a generation of young people that don't know Jesus because Jesus brings light and he brings hope and he brings transformation, doesn't he? My daughter, Molly, or one of my daughters, she's 16, and last year, uh, one of her friends ended her own life, who was also 16 years of age. She ended her life because she believed that she didn't matter. She ended her life because she believed that she had no value whatsoever. There are two universal questions in life that doesn't matter who you are or when you were born. You will ask these two questions, and you'll have asked them at some point. You ask, we usually ask them on a continual basis, and these two questions are, who am I and do I matter? And that young girl asked those two questions, and her conclusion was that she was a nobody, and she didn't matter whatsoever. So the best course of conclusion, or the best response, therefore, was to end her life. In my youth group that I help at, at our local church, there's a, a young teenager came in, 15 maybe, and um, he'd never been to church before. He had no idea about church culture whatsoever. And he came to youth group, and we were talking about forgiveness this particular night. And as we're talking about issues, he starts to express real anger towards his dad, who would beat him, towards his mum, who neglected him, towards his brothers, who abused him. And his list went on and on and on of all the people who's angry with him in life. And then we ask the question, who in our lives do we therefore need to show forgiveness to? And he couldn't think of anyone whatsoever. He couldn't think of a single person that he should need to forgive. His concept of forgiveness was completely and utterly unformed. And there is a hurting world of young people out there. There's a hurting world of broken teenagers who have no idea about hope and life. And we have a message, and our message is very simply this whether it be a young guy who's coming in struggling with forgiveness because his dad beats him or a teenage girl who wants to end her life because she doesn't believe that she matters. And our message is very simply this, that there is a God out there who knows you by name and has written your name on the palm of his hand and he loves you deeply and he will forgive you for anything you have done. You simply just need to respond to who he is and he will bring change. And that is what we must be committed to doing, is to taking that love and that light to a broken generation of young people who simply do not believe. They don't believe because they haven't thought about it. They've just never even put God on the agenda, and our role must be put God clearly on the agenda for such people. Now, I have all sorts of crazy ideas, and last year I definitely peaked in my stupid ideas. And I, and I decided that I would, for a fundraiser, would take a group of people to climb Kilimanjaro. Now, that seemed like an easy thing to do. Where I didn't want to do a marathon who wants to run. And I didn't want to cycle. I didn't want to do anything that seemed hard work. I thought I could walk, at least. And so I, 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 I brought a whole load of donors and said, let's go climb a hill. And so we raised some money, and this hill is 5,900 meters high, or 19,000 feet. It's quite tall, actually. Um, and we, we, we gave it our best shot. Uh, there was 12 of us. And uh, on, by day four, nearly four and a half point at this point, we're at 4,600 meters. And altitude sickness is beginning to kick in at this point. And uh, at 11 o'clock at night, we're going to push towards the summit, which is another 1,200 feet or more, or meters, sorry, and uh, we, we put our torches on and we 
push out into the darkness, and it's cold at this point. About 2.30 in the morning, it's at least minus 15, and the wind has really kicked up, and we're on ice, and our torches, the batteries start to die, and we can't see where we're going, and altitude sickness really has kicked in, where most of our team at this point are vomiting, some have got nosebleeds, some guys are hallucinating, and most of us are disorientated, and all we can do is pray that the sun will come up, because we literally can't see where we're going. And eventually the sun comes up and the sun comes up and brings some form of relief and then total and utter fear because we realize we've still got quite a bit to do and we just didn't want to do it. But we had no choice but to keep going. We couldn't stop. We couldn't just sit down. The altitude sickness was really hitting us very badly at this point and some of our guys were just in a very bad way. One was hallucinating so badly that he just lay on the floor and said, I can't go any further. And we had to physically pick him up. Another guy broke his foot in two places. And all we could say to him was, you have to keep going. We did get to the top. And uh, when we got to the top, what no one tells you is that you then got to get down again. And uh, sure enough, we uh, found that just as hard work. But the point is, you can't give up. You've got to keep going. You've got no choice. And we cannot give up on this generation of young people in this nation who have no idea about who Jesus is. A generation that needs to know truth, that needs to know hope, that needs to know what Jesus can and will do for them and the eternal life that he will bring. We've got no choice but to keep pushing and we've got to stand in the gap for this generation. And how do we do that? We do it by advocating for them. We do it by praying for them. And we do it by reaching out to the people in our lives that we know and the people in our communities that we don't know. And we take that truth because that truth will bring change. And the gospel of Jesus Christ still works today as it did 2,000 years ago. And we need to be persevering because we cannot give up for them because Paul says to Timothy, at the right time, Christ will be revealed. And there are young people in our society that need Christ to be revealed to them. Let me finish, if I may, with one last story. I was asked to speak at a youth event. Um, I often am not told what I'm speaking at, just given a theme. And so I arrive, and as I arrive, I'm told that actually it's a room full of at-risk young people. It's probably about 20 of them. I've driven about 300 miles at this point to get to them. It was quite a a long way to go. And I get there, and there's a room full of of at-risk young people. I said, okay, that's fine, realizing that that's going to challenge me. Um, and so I adopt the message and adapt the message, sorry, and I uh, go into the room. There's a, a 15-year-old boy with earmuffs, and he's just simply rocking in the corner. There's a girl who's probably about eight months pregnant. There's a guy who could only describe people by shapes, and he's going around saying, you're a square, you're a round, you're a triangle, and explaining why. And I thought, wow, this is going to be interesting. I get up, and I give the simplest message of the gospel I think I've ever given. And about 15 minutes in, I'm thinking, what? this is a miracle. They're still listening. How is this even happening? But they're still listening. And I'm coming into land. And I'm going to give them an opportunity to respond to the gospel. As I'm coming into land, a girl starts to scream. She absolutely is screaming about as loud as you can possibly scream. It's piercing. And she gets up and she's trying to find the door handle to get out of the room. She's having a panic attack. The whole room now has stopped listening to me and looking at her, including myself. And as she's trying to find the door handle, she's just absolutely panicking. She eventually opens it and you can still hear her screaming down the corridor. And I realize that uh, I have no, no, no one's listening anymore. 
and I'm thinking, I don't know how to finish this message, and I just wrap it up real quick. And then I do what every speaker does when they've given a terrible message, which is you quietly find your coat and you leave as quickly as you can. And I did exactly that. I, I got in my car and I started the 300-mile drive back to uh, where we were in the Midlands. And as I'm driving back, I'm, I'm thinking, God, I absolutely got it wrong today. I, I, I told that story. I shouldn't have told that story. She reacted to that story. I absolutely got it wrong. I'm so, so sorry. And two days later, I shot off an email to the organizer and said, listen, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have told that story. I asked you permission, and you still said I could tell it. But obviously, she reacted to that, and I lost everyone. And, I sent in, and then a few days later, a reply came saying, yeah, that was a terrible story. Uh, but she absolutely did react to it. But here's the thing, we were able to talk to her that night and when we talked to her, we were able to bring Jesus into her story and she made a decision to follow Jesus as did three other people. There are times when actually we don't know what's happening. There are times when we give the best that we can give and the circumstances seem difficult but we've got to be faithful in pushing forward and declaring who Jesus is regardless and trusting that he is the one that brings transformation, not us and we have to trust him through that process And so may I encourage you, if I may, if I may be bold enough to fight a good fight, not only for your own salvation, not only for the outworking of your own discipleship, but for a generation that simply don't know Jesus, for a generation that desperately need to know who he is, and to advocate for young people in your communities, to pray for the young people in your community, but also to boldly reach out to young people in your lives, whoever they may be, and to share who Jesus is in the knowledge that he brings total and utter change. And Romans 1, 16 says, doesn't it, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of those whom believe. May we be bold enough to respond to his calling to bring light and truth and hope to this generation. Let me pray if I may. Father, I thank you that you have called us to be light and that you are called to work through and shine through us into darkness. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't hide that light that you bring, that actually we would take off anything that conceals you and that we would absolutely declare you, whatever that looks like, however that works, in a relevant way to lost, broken, hurting young people in our communities so that they can come to know and have an opportunity to respond to who you are. Lord, may we always advocate for young people. May we pray for them. But Lord, may we take moments to share you. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.